So at this time, in the brief time that we have, I would like to bring words of encouragement to you. And I was glad to hear a couple of brothers mentioning the book of Hebrews. And I have been teaching to the church in Hyderabad from the book of Hebrews. And I have finished 10 chapters and I have three more chapters to go through it. And it has been a great life transforming experience for me and also for the church of the living God. So I encourage you to pay careful attention to this uh, brief time that we have as we dwell upon the word of God. Shall we all look to the Lord in prayer and ask him to speak to our hearts. Heavenly Father, what a joy it is for us to come together as your body blood by the blood of Christ. And if there is anyone here who has not been saved and not a member of your body, we pray that you touch them, open their eyes and lead them to the cross of Christ who died for our sins and rose from the dead. And for those who have been saved, we pray that you build your church this morning through the exposition of your word. And let our hearts be edified, our minds be enlightened, and our lives be transformed. And as your word says, may we not simply be the mere listeners of your word, but give us the grace to be the doers of your word. May we fear and tremble at your word. May we pay careful attention to what you are saying through your word. And we pray that you make us Christ-like community for your glory and use us to shine as a light in this sinful, dark, fallen world. In the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, we offer this prayer with thanksgiving. Amen. Amen. Shall we all say amen? amen? The title that I have given to this message this morning is on God's gift of sanctification. God's gift of sanctification. And I think this is very important because so many people profess to be believers and claim to believe in the blood of Christ, in the body of Christ, in the death of Christ, in the resurrection of Christ. But sanctification is not very evident in their profession of faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. And I would like to share with you how God has given the gift of sanctification in our lives. And we all, I believe that you all know what is justification, that it is through faith alone, in Christ alone, that we are saved by the grace of God. And after we are saved, we are sanctified. That is, we are conformed continuously till the last day of our lives on earth to the likeness of the Lord Jesus Christ. And one great means that God has gifted to us, the Christians, and that is what I would like to share with you. You know, there was a, a very good uh, um, Christian counselor, and uh, some of you may know, his name was um, Paul Tonier, and I think Brother Alan might be knowing him, um, Paul Tonier. And once he wisely said this, he said that there are two things you cannot do alone. There are two things you cannot do alone. One is to be married, <laughs> and the other is to be a Christian. You cannot do alone these two things. There are two facts that we have to know about the Christian life. And I don't have to prove it because it is very evident in our lives. And it is that Christian life is hard. It is not prosperity gospel. It is not the comfortable life. It is not easy and cozy. The Bible tells that the Christian life is hard, stormed with trials and temptations. And many of us are already going through them. And all of us indeed, 
know what it is to suffer from temptation, what it is to suffer from trials. And I remember once uh, looking at a title, it says that the title of the book is Saints, Sinners and Sufferers. Saints, Sinners and Sufferers. And, they, and I think that, that, that beautifully describes who a Christian is. A Christian is a saint by the blood of Christ Jesus. And at the same time, he's a sinner struggling with the depravity of his own heart. We are not completely free from the indwelling sin. We are battling with it every day. And not only sin, we know that we are sufferers. We go through sicknesses. We go through financial crisis. We go through persecution. We go through rejection. We go through various trials in this life. And we have to know that Christian life is hard. I'm not telling it is joyless. I'm not telling it is peaceless. There is joy. There is peace. But it is not in the absence of troubles. But it is in the presence of trials and temptations that we see in the word of God. The Bible declares that it is through many tribulations that we enter the kingdom of God. The Lord Jesus said that narrow is the road that goes to heaven. James says that it is through many trials that we become mature. And the book of James says that rejoice when you pass through various kinds of trials because God is working for his glory and for our good in the pain that we go through. And why I mention this is because, as I say that, the Christian life is hard due to trials and temptations. And there is one thing that we also should know is that our hearts are prone to wander when we face trials and temptations. I'm a pastor for uh, many years and I'm a Christian for more than 25 years. And I often confess that and I plainly confess that my heart is prone to wander. When I face afflictions, when I face pain, when I face temptations, we do not always live a steadfast Christian life. And that's what we see in the book of Hebrews. The recipients face persecution and uh, trials because of their belief in the Lord Jesus Christ. And as a result of their faith in the Lord Jesus Christ, they were facing vehement persecution and opposition from their, from their Jewish neighbors. And as a result of it, they were tempted to fall away from faith because they couldn't bear this pressure of rejection and temptation in their life. And they were tempted to go back to Judaism. And the author of Hebrews wrote this book in order to encourage them not to fall away from faith, to persevere in your faith till the end. And it was exalting the supremacy of the Lord Jesus Christ, how Christ is supreme over angels, how Christ is supreme over the high priest, how Christ is supreme over the old covenant, and how he is the Lord of the new covenant. And he has been provoking their faith to persevere in the Lord Jesus Christ. And that's my goal today, to provoke your faith and perseverance, because life is hard, our heart is prone to wander, but there is one antidote that God has given in the word of God. This is not the only antidote, but I believe that this is a crucial antidote without which we cannot grow on our own and we cannot walk alone in this world. And I want to read to you from the book of Hebrews chapter 3. And uh, I would encourage you to read together so that 
We can all pay careful attention to what the word of God says this morning. After cautioning and encouraging the believers here to guard their hearts, pay attention to what they have heard in Hebrews chapter 3, he gives a very important exhortation in verse 12 and 13 about how they need to persevere in their Christian faith and the antidote that God has given so that people would not fall away from faith and they would persevere safely till the end. Hebrews chapter 3 verses 12 and 13. Shall we all read this together? Lifting our glorious voices. Take care brothers. Lest there be in any of you an evil and believing heart leading you to fall away from the living God. But exhort one another every day as long as it is called today that none of you may be hardened by the deceitfulness of sin. I have divided this passage into three sections. The first thing that I want to talk to you is about the nature of sin. And many believers, I believe, are ignorant of the power and the nature of sin. And the second section I would like to speak from this passage about the necessity to encourage and exhort one another. And the third section I would like to speak to you about the frequency of exhorting and encouraging one another. The fact that we have to know, the first thing that I would like to speak to you is about the nature of sin. The power and the nature of sin. We all know that Christ has died for our sins. Christ has dealt with sin on the cross. And he has delivered all those who repent of their sins and believe in the atoning work of Christ on the cross for the forgiveness and deliverance of their life from the bondage of sin. And again, I would like to be reminded, if there is any person here who have been coming to the church and maybe you have been growing in a Christian family, you are in the atmosphere of Christian climate, you are coming to church, but if you have not come to the saving faith of the Lord Jesus Christ, this morning I would like to beg you, urge you and encourage you to repent of your sin and trust in the Lord Jesus who alone can save you from the bondage of sin and give you the free gift of eternal life. But those who have believed and uh, in the Reformed Church and uh, people who believe in the doctrines of grace, we know that we believe in eternal security. We believe that he who saved us in the beginning will lead us through the end. But here is a caution that we need to understand. And I see that this is very important in the Reformed Churches. Although we believe in eternal security... And God's preservation of our souls till the end. And the perseverance of the saints. We cannot be reckless in our Christian life. Belief in the, in the doctrine of eternal security is not an excuse for us to live a reckless life. And that is what we see that the Bible is warning here. And God uses warnings, cautions, exhortations. Not to scare us away from him, not to drive us away from him. It is to encourage us so that we can preserve our souls and persevere in our faith till the end. And that is what we see the author of Hebrews is doing here in chapter 3 verse 12. He says, that, take care brothers, don't be negligent, don't be lighthearted, 
Don't be flippant. Don't be ignorant. He says here that take care, brothers and sisters, lest there be in any of you an evil and unbelieving heart leading you to fall away from the living God. And there is a great warning over here to be careful. We cannot be negligent and light-hearted. And he says here about the nature of sin, why we should be very careful. He says here the nature of sin, exhort one another every day as it is called as long as it is called today. And he says here that that none of you may be hardened by the deceitfulness of sin. Now we need to understand that he is not writing to people who do not know Christ. He is writing to the church. He is writing to the believers here. And he says here that, that none of you may be hardened by the deceitfulness of sin. Hear this, saints of God, the church of God, brothers and sisters in the Lord Jesus Christ. The word of God declares here, take care of your heart that none of you when the bible says none of you stephen david is included in this chaitanya is included in this steve atkinson is included in this skiva is included in this all of us here who claim to believe in the lord jesus christ are included here and god loves us and he is telling and cautioning us exhorting us Take care that none of you may be hardened by the deceitfulness of sin. And what does the word of God reveal here about the nature of sin? It says that the word of God declares here that sin has the ability to harden our heart. Not only the unbelievers who refuse to believe in the Lord Jesus Christ, but even believers in the body of Christ can be hardened, refusing to submit themselves to the authority of the word of God. So let us not think that those people out in the world, they are the hardened people. And we people in the church are broken, contrite, nice, submissive, smooth, easygoing people. When I look at my heart, brothers and sisters, I confess that I struggle with the hardness of the heart. I struggle with submission to the authority of the word of God. I love to do things my way. I don't want to submit to the authority of the word of God. I love to follow my own way. My heart is hardened, prone to wander. And the more you realize the dangerous proneness of our hearts to hardness, the better we will be living in this sinful world. And the more we are self-confident, no way like Peter, I'm going to fall away. I will be strong and steadfast. Very soon will be your fall. Or maybe we are already fallen, blinded to our own flaws and fallen state. And what does the Bible say? When the Bible says that it hardens the heart. And if I describe what hardness of heart is. And this is what we find even in churches today. And when our heart is hardened, there is no conviction of sin. We sin, but we don't sense that spirit's conviction. Hey, the way you are not living a submissive life at home or as a loving husband in your family or as a submissive child to your parents or as a meaningful, healthy member in the church, you don't feel that conviction of sin anymore. 
because our hearts are hardened and desensitized. We may be reading the Bible, we may be going to church, we may be singing songs, all this religious life will be there. But one thing that is lost is the sense of conviction of sin. Brothers and sisters, I would like to ask you this question. Do you sense the conviction of sin every day? That conviction of sin in your heart is a sign that your heart is beating. Your heart is beating. And if there is no sense of conviction of sin, it is a great sign that our hearts are hardened. And today the word of God says that do not harden your heart. No sense of conviction of sin. And when they hear the word of God, there is no obedient response to God's voice. Spoken in the word of God. And I find some religious people, they read the Bible. Even they quote the Bible. They memorize the Bible. They know the Bible from Genesis to Revelation. But when you look at the lives, there is only rebellion in the family, in the church. Only rebellious life. There is no obedient response to the word of God. My dear brothers and sisters, when we read the Bible, when we hear the sermon, when we hear the teaching, is our heart longing to submit to the authority of the word of God or are we hardening our hearts to our own harm? This morning, God is encouraging us and teaching us and helping us to see the nature of sin is that it hardens. And it not only hardens, it says that it deceives That none of you may be hardened by the deceitfulness of sin. It doesn't say that by the apparent evil nature of sin. It doesn't say that. It says by the deceitfulness of sin. And I love how C.S. Lewis describes what deception is. Hear this carefully. He says here that nothing can deceive unless it bears a plausible resemblance reality nothing can deceive unless it bears a plausible resemblance to reality anything deceiving is not obviously evil it looks good it looks right it looks appealing but what we see is that there is evil that is lurking behind dear saints of God I want to tell you something very important please pay careful attention to what I'm saying this morning We need to understand this. We are living in terrible times. We are not living in easy, good times. We are living in terrible times. And I want to re-emphasize that we are living in an atmosphere of deception. The Bible says that Satan is the deceiver. We know that from Genesis 3. How he deceived. God doesn't want you To have good in your life. You eat the forbidden fruit. Because God is not giving you the best. He is robbing you for something that is best. And he tried to deceive. And I am telling you that. Right from the book of Genesis till Revelation. And all through the ages we see that. The devil is the deceiver. And hear this carefully you saints of God. He is more closer to the saints of God. Than to the children of the devil. And why is he close to the saints of God? To deceive us. He's not there in the graveyard. Maybe he's sitting next beside us now. Trying to deceive us. He is like a roaring lion. 
seeking whom we may deceive, whom we may devour, whom we may drive them away from the faith of the Lord Jesus Christ. This devil is a deceiver. And not only that, the Bible tells in Ephesians 5, 6 and Colossians 2, 8 that the world is deceptive. The world that we are living in deceptive. The media is deceptive. Politics are deceptive. Businesses are deceptive. The whole world is deceptive. It is all about how to deceive people. And we need to be careful of the world that we are living in. And the Bible also says in Hebrews 13.3 that sin is also deceptive. And much worse than all of this, Jeremiah 17.9 says that our own heart is deceptive. The world says, follow your heart, isn't it? Do what your heart says. That's the best way to destroy your life. (laughs) Don't follow your heart, especially young people here. And all alike. We see a lot of messages coming out from television, from universities and from social media. Follow what your heart says. And the Bible says that there is a way that seems right to the man, but in the end... It leads to deaths. Be careful of following your heart because your heart is not the standard of what is good and right. The word of God is, Jeremiah chapter 17 verse 9 says that the heart is deceitful above all things and desperately sick. Who can understand it? Who can understand it? Do you understand it? Do you understand how deceptive Our heart is and how dangerous it is to follow our own heart. I love what Charles Spurgeon, the great Baptist preacher, once said. He said that, beware of no man more than of yourself. Don't be afraid of any man than yourself. We carry our worst enemies within us. If you think that your worst enemy is sitting beside you, if you think that your worst enemy is on the outside, You are deceived. Your worst enemy is inside you. There is no greater enemy of Stephen David than Stephen David. I am my most enemy. That's why Jesus didn't say that. Deny the world. Deny your neighbor. Deny your spouse. That's not what he said. What did he say? Deny yourself. Your heart is the worst enemy. You going your way, my way, highway, is the destructive way. Deny yourself. How does sin deceive us? Maybe some of the practical things I can tell you and that we see that today, Bible is not practical and relevant to life. It's a whole book written 2,000 years ago. We are living in a modern day generation. Bible is no more practical and applicable. It is no more authoritative to you. So do what your heart says. Choose your own ways. Beware, brothers and sisters. Deception is around us. God cannot love you and accept you because of your sin. Look at the sins you are committing. How can God love you? How can God accept you? Then God accepts you based on your moral performance. If you are doing good, God loves you. If you are doing bad, God hates you. That's a deception that we find that we see today. If God is good and loving, then why are you suffering? Maybe you have committed some sin. That's the reason you are suffering. God is not loving and caring. Why will he allow you to go through this sickness? Why will he allow you to go through this kind of pain in your life? If he is really loving, he will deliver you. The lie and the deception that we see today. 
Your spouse is not satisfying you physically, so there is an answer for that. Watch porn, masturbate. That's a way you can really find some good uh, satisfaction to yourself. And a lot of uh, married people, they find that, oh, I have an ex. My wife is not satisfying you. My, my husband is not doing that. Therefore, my porn watching is justifiable. And I can masturbate and I can do all these things because I'm not getting here. And what else do, should I do that? So many people are trying to find the deceptions of sin. If you are offended by anyone in the church, you do one thing. Just sneak away. Slowly. Don't talk to them. Don't address them. You can do one thing. You can pray and uh, say that, uh, I prayed about it and the Lord told me to go to another church. Hey, really? Stop using the word of God. When Bible says if you are offended by anyone, if you have any difficulties with any person, go and talk to them. Open your heart, discuss, deal. God will not tell you to slowly sneak away without dealing with the problems. But there are people who use prayer. There are people who use the so-called terms of spirituality not to follow the Bible. Deception. Deception that we see today. The Bible reveals that, hear this, we need to understand, brothers and sisters, that we cannot see evil in our hearts all the time, completely. We cannot. Many times we are blinded to our own flaws. And that's why the Bible tells us, which brings me to the second point. And before that, John Calvin, I want to just bring out to you what he said. The great reformer, he said that the human, the human heart has so many crannies where vanity hides, so many holes where falsehood lurks. He's so digged out with deceiving hypocrisy that it often dupes itself. That's the power of our hearts, my dear people. And we need to be careful about that. But what is the antidote if this is the nature of sin? And we know that Christ died for our sins to justify us before him. And we are loved not based on our moral performance but on his grace. And God declares us righteous when we put our faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. But that is not the end. Justification is always followed by sanctification. Anyone who is not sanctified, who is not getting sanctified, is not truly justified. And anyone who is justified by faith in the Lord Jesus Christ will inevitably be sanctified. And that is the evidence and carries the true marks of salvation. And how do we preserve our souls? What is the gift that God has given for our sanctification? And that is the body of the Lord Jesus Christ. Next to the atoning sacrifice of Christ on the cross. Next to the gift of eternal life. One great gift that God has given us is the body of the Lord Jesus Christ. Which is the church of the living God. And in the church, this is what should be happening. The Bible declares here, that is bringing me to the second one, the necessity to exhort one another. Hebrews 3.13. Shall we all once again read this together? Hebrews chapter 3 verse 13. But exhort one another every day, as long as it is called today, that none of you may be hardened by the deceitfulness of sin. Hear this carefully, dear church. It says here, exhort one another. The meaning of exhort includes warning, correction, comfort, 
and encouragement. And this is what the author is doing here by exhorting these recipients of the letter is encouraging them to preserve their souls and to grow in sanctification. Now here we need to understand that he says here the remedy, the remedy for not entertaining an unbelieving heart, the remedy for not falling away from the living God, the remedy for not living a hardened life, the remedy for not being deceived by sin. You know what is that? It says here is mutual Admonition. Let me tell you frankly, dear people of God, you know one reason why so many are hardened in the churches today? You know why one reason why so many are deceived in the churches today? Because there is no mutual admonition. We are touch me not. We have become poison ivies. <laughs> if you touch me, you have to scratch yourself. It's very dangerous. And I'm telling you, brothers and sisters, the churches today have become carnal. Only programs, program-centric, just attend the church and sing some songs and give an offering and hear the word of God. But there is no sanctification that is happening. There is no evidence of growth towards maturity. You know why? Because there is no exhortation of one another. Bible declares that this is so important for our sanctification. Not only there, let me show to you two more scriptures to confirm. Galatians chapter 6 verse 1 to 2. You see what it says here. Brothers, if anyone is caught in any transgression, you who are spiritual. He's talking about not that there are some spiritual people in the church, the spiritual elite, and he's addressing them. He's telling that, brothers, you are spiritual. Every person who believes in the Lord is spiritual. And he said that should restore him in a spirit of gentleness. It's very important. Restore him. Now hear this carefully. If you sin by yourself and if you are restored by yourself, why there is a need for mutual exhortation? If you can be restored by yourself, why there is a need for someone to restore you and me in a spirit of gentleness. Now what does it show? It shows that it is not easy for us to look at our own sins. And it is not easy for us to be restored by ourselves. We need the investment of the body of Christ. I keep telling to my church in Hyderabad. All them a pastor, shepherd. Yeah, and I tell them that. Listen to this carefully. To the church that I tell them that without you, I cannot be holy. Honestly, I tell them that it's not only without Jesus, it is also without the church. Because God has given the church for my sanctification. To neglect the church is to neglect sanctification of the Lord Jesus Christ. And the reason he has given us is to be sanctified. And it says here that keep watch over yourself lest you be you to be tempted. Bear one another's burdens and so fulfill the law of Christ. You know what is the law of Christ? Bear the burden of sin and restore each other. Address each other. We must be such a community that people honestly confess and are confronted of their sin. That's the New Testament church. The New Testament church is not just about having Lord's Supper as a fellowship meal. It is not just about having plurality of leadership. It is not just about participatory meeting. It is not just about all the activities that they speak about. The New Testament church is also about a community where there is transparency, where there is humility, 
where there is open confrontation of sin. People need not fear of that. That's one of the characteristics of the New Testament church. Same thing is reiterated. Even in Hebrews chapter 10 verse 24 to 25. Let us consider how to stir up one another to love and good works. Not neglecting to meet together as is the habit of some. But encouraging one another. Encouraging one another. And we see that twice it is mentioned. Hebrews 3.13 says that exhort one another. And here in Hebrews 10.24 it says stir up one another. And 10.25 says encouraging one another. Now there are some things that I want to bring out from this passage. There is one thing. There are a couple of things that I want to tell. That The first thing that we should. I must tell this is because. And this is very important. We must not ignore sin in the body of Christ. Brothers and sisters, hear this carefully. To become a part of Atlanta Reformation Fellowship or to become a part of a cliche evangelical fellowship or to become a part of any local church, you know what does it mean? You are giving the authority to the local church to help you in your sanctification. If you don't understand this, you don't know what the body of Christ is. And it is very hard. And I come with all my sinful baggage in the body of Christ and I tell that, help me. Help me. My heart is prone to be deceived. My heart is prone to be hardened. Help me to grow in the sanctification of the Lord Jesus Christ. We are living in a generation that hates authority. That doesn't submit to authority. That doesn't believe in authority. We are living in an autonomous Christendom. And that is not what Christianity is. Biblical Christianity. Biblical Christianity is a Christianity of authority, accountability, submission, all done with love, humility, and gentleness. Bible says here that if we ignore sin, 1 Corinthians 5, 5 warns here that your posting is not good. Do, not, do you not know that a little leaven leavens the whole lump? A little sin you entertain leavens the whole lump? If we entertain premarital sex... If we entertain pornography, if we entertain extramarital affairs, if we entertain any kind of uh, sexual immorality, any kind of pride, anger, gossip, jealousy, and if we entertain these things, you know what would happen? That ruins the body of Christ and we should be careful to guard the purity of the body of the Lord Jesus Christ. And let me tell you with love and grace, it is a dangerous thing. To become a part of the church. Why? Because my sin is exposed. And the reason why God brings me to the church. Is so that he can sanctify me. The reason why God brings me to the church. Is to expose my impatience. Expose my lack of submission. Expose my weaknesses. There are some people who don't get close to each other. Why? Because they want to be safe in individualism. Once they get close, they get offended. They get rejection. And their ego is hurt. So you stay there. I stay here. You are safe. I am safe. We are a loving body of the Lord Jesus Christ. I tell some people that if you think that you have no problems in the church, it is not because you are not nice people. It is because you are not close to each other. If you get close to each other, you know that. How dangerous our heart is. And I warn people, I am a dangerous man. Be careful when you get close to me. But I want to change. But I want to change. That's the power of the gospel. God gives grace to change. And hear this. 
Another observation that we see here is that it says that exhort one man over another. Do you see that carefully? Hebrews 3.13 says that exhort one man over others. 10.24 says that stir one man over another. And Hebrews 10.25 says encourage one man over another. Do you see that? Carefully. It says, right? No. It doesn't say that one man does to others. It's not that pastors are the ones who exhort. Pastors are the ones who encourage. Pastors are the ones who stir up. It says that one another. We all should be involved in sanctifying one another. We all should be involved in watching over one another. I don't know about the United States of America, but in the India back there, we don't listen to anyone except to the pastor. Who are you to tell me what is happening in my life? Who are you to correct me? Who are you to encourage me? Who are you even to pray for me? Are you a pastor? And even there are pastors who say that if anyone goes and prays for another person, hey, when did you become a pastor? I, I didn't give you any authority to go and pray for others. It is very, we pastors, there are little popes in every church. For a Roman Catholic church, there is only one pope. In Protestant churches, there are many popes. Every local church has a pope there. We don't want body ministry. We want to control everything. And everything is under my authority. I am the one who decides. I am the one who rules. I am the one who encourages. I am the one who prays. But that's not what the Bible says that. It says that one another. One another. is This is what we are becoming, my dear brothers and sisters. And for this, I want to encourage you that we cannot be blunt in doing this. We need to learn. And I appreciate what Brother Allen is doing here, teaching biblical counseling. We need to read books on how to encourage others. We need to be trained on how to exhort others. It is not something that we become uh, self-appointed Pharisees just watching out who is uh, doing sins and pointing out to them, nitpicking on them and condemning them and trying to uh, show that we are better than them. That's not what it is. We need to do that with wisdom, understanding. In fact, Colossians 3.16 says that as you encourage one another, teach one another, be filled with the teachings of the Lord Jesus Christ. So the word of God should drive us. The attitude of Christ should drive us. The spirit of Christ should drive us when we exhort one another. So be open to be trained. Let us be Oh, let, us, let us grab the opportunities of training that the church is offering so that we can become encouragers, exhorters in the body of the Lord Jesus Christ. And another thing I want to tell you that how can you encourage one another? How can you exhort one another? How can you spur one another if you don't know each other? You can't do that. For that we have to spend time with one another. The Bible says that if one man is uh, uh, rejoicing, the other should rejoice. If one man suffers, others should suffer. The Bible says that. But we are living in such a state of Christianity today that if one is rejoicing, we don't know whether they are rejoicing or not. And if one is suffering, we don't know whether they are suffering or not. Why? Because there is no meaningful relationship and fellowship in the body of Christ. And I encourage you, brothers, in order for us to follow what the Bible says on mutual admonition, mutual encouragement, we have to be intentional. It is not automatic. It doesn't go according to our personality. We have to make efforts and be intentional in spending time with one another so that we would know what's happening in their lives. Do we take time to spend time with one another? 
Are we intentional about that? Do we make use of fellowship meals to know one another and encourage one another? Do we invite people to our homes and practice hospitality so that we can know and encourage one another? Do we just meet people maybe in a coffee shop or call up and say that, hey, I just wanted to spend some time and get to know you. Do we take that intentional step so that we can practice what the word of God says here? There is another encouragement that I would like to give you in order for us to practice this mutual exhortation and encourages that we must cultivate a loving and humble disposition attitude to encourage one another. If you are so egotistic, if you are so touch me not lives, people are afraid to come to us. People are afraid to speak about the sin or encourage us in our afflictions because of this egotistic attitude and I beg you and I encourage you my dear brothers and sisters as the Lord Jesus Christ is a great model to us and as we are the believers of the Lord Jesus Christ let us cultivate a humble and submissive and a loving heart so that we can receive and people would feel free to approach us and talk to us and say that hey brother have seen that the way you spoke to your wife is so harsh I want to tell you that the Bible says that we should not be harsh. I believe that you are so loving to your wife, but I see the way that you speak is so harsh. I remember one person who was in a house and uh, the way that I was waking up my sons was so harsh. And that person came to me and said that I don't think that's how you should wake up your children. And, she, and that person is a believer. I'm a pastor. And I appreciated the person for correcting me. Thank you for that. And I never did that later. What that person has exhorted me. And I've learned, and I'm telling you, I'm a very arrogant person. And the only reason I love to open myself to others is because of the gospel. Is because Christ descended from heaven. He died for my sins. And I have to be humble. There is no choice. Humility is not an option for believers, brothers and sisters. It is a pathway for Christian living. And we need to deny ourselves. We need to be humble. We need to be open so that others would feel free to exhort one another. In the church, you know, as I'm a shepherd, when I hear some interpersonal conflicts or family conflicts or church conflicts, when I tell them, why don't you go and talk to them personally? Because that's what the Bible encourages. You know what they say? Oh, it's very hard to approach that person. (laughs) And that's not a good testimony. That's not a humble testimony. People should be free to come and approach us, and we should not be self-justifying, oversensitive, get upset, get silent, not speak to the person, and just stay silent when they say something. Be grateful. Thank you. Even if it is wrong, they're concerned about us, and we should be grateful for that. And also, in order for us to practice this, in order to grow in accountability, is we need to be intentional about personal accountability. You know, um, Uh, I know that the generation that we are living in is so dangerous and the media and the social media, the Instagram and the Facebook and the YouTube is very dangerous. So much of sensual stuff, even in ODTs. And I'm afraid, even as a pastor, because there is one thing that I tell, especially to young people here and even to old alike. And I know myself, I'm 46 years old. and And I tell this that I cannot trust my heart. I cannot trust my heart. There is a brother in a church. I went to him and said that, hey, please do me a favor. Every week, every Sunday, ask me whether I watched any sensual thing on any of the media. And if I do that as a pastor, 
Next thing you should do is take me to the deacons. Have me confess before them. If I still do that, make sure that I stand before the church and confess. Church, I'm sorry. I failed you. I shouldn't have done that. And I went intentionally. Nobody came to me. Why did I do that? Because I'm afraid of my heart. I'm afraid that I may fall. I'm afraid that I cannot be steadfast. And I want the body of Christ to protect me. To help me. In anything that we are struggling. We should be intentional about accountability. Brothers and sisters. It is very difficult. But I'm telling you. It is important. Now this is what I say that. The secret of the power of sin. Do you know what it is? The secret of the power of sin is in keeping it secret. (laughs) The worst thing we do when we sin is to keep it secret. I'm not telling that. Confess it to everyone. Confess it to God. But again, you need someone to help you to grow in the sins that we are struggling. So if your family, if you have any family conflicts, husband is not living an exemplary life or wife is not living a sub, please talk to someone. Talk to someone. Don't think that you can deal by yourself. Maybe to some extent you can do that. But if it is really worsening things, go and open to someone. Don't keep it secret. Open up. One of the reasons why divorces are rampant is because they don't talk about that. Only when it gets to the worst, everyone comes to know. Deal with it when it at the initial stages. Maybe to the elders or to some mature brother or sister in the church. Take help. If you are struggling with porn. And I am telling you that porn is destroying churches today. Ministries today. And we cannot keep it secret. We need to go and talk to someone and say that I am struggling with porn. Would you please pray for me and hold me accountable. There are some people who don't practice accountability. But they only pray to God and ask God. Lord you deliver me, deliver me, deliver me. And when God is not answering you say that God is not helping me. God has given you the body of Christ as a gift for your sanctification. You want to ignore it and go directly to God? God will tell you, go and confess it to someone. Go and find help. Humble yourself. Humble yourself. It is very important. And maybe the other thing that we can also do that be intentional about small group accountability. We can... Group of brothers or sisters can come together and say that let us practice this. Let us exhort one another and confess and pray together so that we can grow together in the sanctification of the Lord Jesus Christ. And that is what the word of God tells here. And the last section that we see here the Bible speaks about is the frequency of exhorting one another. What is the frequency of it? Right? Shall we read this together once again? Hebrews 3.13 But exhort one another once a year. (laughs) Do you see that? Not every day. Are are you serious? Who is following this? Who is following this? Exhort one another every day. As long as it is called today that none of you may be hardened By the deceitfulness of sin. Now people listen to this carefully. If you are not exhorting constantly. One another. What is happening? We are hardened. By the deceitfulness. Of sin. And Bible tells here the remedy for that. And when the Bible says as long as it is called today. It speaks about the sense of urgency. Today is the day. 
There is an urgency for us to exhort one another. We cannot say that. Maybe sometime next year on um, uh, December 31st, I will make a resolution about doing this. No. There is a sense of urgency. We are living in terrible times. The devil is a deceiver. The world is deceiving. Sin is deceptive. Our heart is deceitful. We cannot ignore the significance of exhorting one another, encouraging one another, stirring one another to good works. We have to carry a sense of urgency and practice it regularly. So the same thing is even said. In Hebrews 10, 24 to 25, when it is said that, let us stir up one another to love and good works, not neglecting to meet together as is the habit of some. And the whole point of not neglecting to meet together and coming together is encouraging one another. And you see this, what it says, and all the more. Do you see the word here? The phrase here, all the more as you see the day drawing near. The day of accountability is near. The day of judgment is here. And all the more. What is it that you have to be doing all the more? More meeting together. And more encouraging one another. The less we meet together. The less we encourage one another. The less we grow in sanctification. And the more we have to come together. Kent Hughes expository preacher he says that we are to encourage each other daily not just on the first day of the week but there are many people who don't even encourage one another on the first day of the week but the bible tells you that we have to meet this shows that you know they might have met every day we don't know they might have met every day and that's the reason bible tells us to encourage one another you know today we live in a generation that if believers are gathering uh, more than once a week you know what they say Uh, Brother, it is too much. Oh, not only on Sunday, let's meet on Wednesday. Wednesday? Oh, we have our own families. We have our own jobs. We have no time for that. So, that's what you answer. (laughs) What the Bible says is all the more. Meet more. And encourage one another more. But this is the Christianity that we are living. More than once a week is too much. And they don't want to join churches also where they gather more. They want to go to churches where they are safe, easy and cozy, warming the chairs every Sunday. And they don't want to do anything more than that. Brothers and sisters, that's not what Christianity is. We need to come together more often. And if the time is also more than two hours, the churches today have become so carnal that if you have a church that is more than two hours, they look at the time and say, hey, I have to go back home and eat some steak. (laughs) Too long? My goodness, they're spending such a long time and they were eating together, meeting together. That's what is a New Testament church. It's not one hour, two hours. We are reading once a week. How many hours do we work every day? Eight to ten hours? And church gathering only two hours? Is the work helping you in sanctification or the church helping you in sanctification? And I'm not telling despising. I'm not despising the work. Work is important. We have to work. We have to study. We have to earn. We have to provide for our family. But we need to understand that church is important. Nowhere the Bible. Now, please don't misunderstand me. Nowhere I see the Bible telling that work more. Nowhere I see that. Or spend time with your family more. Or do camping more. Nowhere I see this saying that the Bible says that spend time with the church more. I'm not telling family is not important. I'm not telling work is not important. Please don't get me wrong. Today's church has neglected the church. 
There is no meeting together constantly to encourage one another. And uh, we should be careful of that. Brothers and sisters, as I come close, I want to bring to your attention that if we don't encourage one another, if we don't take Christian meetings seriously, there is a danger of being hardened by the deceitfulness of sin. We cannot grow in sanctification. Yes, there is assurance of God. God has given the assurance that my sheep will not perish. That he will, he who began a good work in you will lead you to the end. Yes, that is true. God's assurance will never fail. But there is also human responsibility which we cannot ignore. And the human responsibility is that we need to guard our hearts and guard one another in the Lord Jesus Christ. And I want to bring close to these words with these words. Holiness is not a private affair. It is a community endeavor. It is not a private affair. It is a community endeavor. The more you realize your imperfections and weaknesses, the more you will see the necessity for encouragement, correction, and discipline. The more you are humbly accountable to the body of Christ, the better you will progress in Christ-likeness. And if you are examining your hearts and if you see that I'm not growing more and if I'm not growing in sanctification, God is speaking to our hearts. You need to be attached, not just attend the programs, but attached, committed to the body of Christ so that you can grow in sanctification. God has brought you in this church so that you can be sanctifying and allow the spirit of God to use the body of Christ to help us all to grow in sanctification. Shall we all stand together and pray? If there is one thing that really hinders us, it is pride, my dear brothers and sisters. And if we nurture pride in our lives, the Bible says that pride comes before fall. Great will be our fall. And at this time, I encourage all of us to really examine our hearts. Am I practicing encouraging one another with love and humility? Am I allowing others to speak to my heart? Do I take intentional steps to speak to people? Let's examine our hearts. And if you are living as a lone ranger Christians, coming to the church but living our own life, our own way, maybe today we have to repent of our sin and say, Lord, forgive me. For I am a superficial member in this body. I am not knit together. I am not letting the body to invest in my life. I am not accountable to people. I am struggling with sins, but I am not opening up. And let's say, the Lord, you please to keep me humble and sanctify me. Lord, we understand from your word, the church is not a mere service that we attend. It is a sanctifying community. And we thank you for buying this church by the blood of the Lamb. Thank you for bringing us together from different backgrounds and made us one body of Christ. We have different colors. We have different experiences. We have different ages. We have different backgrounds. We have different struggles with sin. We have different afflictions. But we have the same Lord who died for us. 
and rose from the dead. And we come before you in that matchless, glorious name of Christ. And we pray, Lord, that you build your church. We pray, Lord, that you sanctify your church. We pray, Lord, that you conform us to the likeness of Christ. We pray, Lord, that you break our pride and egotism and give us humility, love and care that we practice exhorting one another, encouraging one another, stirring up each other to love and good works so that we would not be hardened by the deceitfulness of sin. Oh Lord, help us to grow in sanctification together. Lord, we live in a culture that is saturated with individualism. Saturated, oh Lord. No one, everyone says, am I my brother's keeper like uh, Cain? But Lord, your word says that you are your brother's keeper. You are your sister's keeper. We have to watch over one another, love one another, pray for each other, exhort each other. And see that we are together in our journey to heaven because life is hard on earth. We cannot grow on our own. We cannot walk alone. We need you and in you we need your family, your children, your church to help us grow in the body of the Lord Jesus, in the sanctification of the Lord. So we pray that you give us your grace, O Heavenly Father, to lead us and give us your grace to preserve our souls and persevere in our faith till the end. We need you and we need your body. In the name of our Lord Jesus, we pray with thanksgiving. Amen. This message was produced by the New Testament Reformation Fellowship, reforming today's church with New Testament church practices. Permission is hereby granted for you to reproduce this message. You can find us on the web at www.ntrf.org. May God bless you as you seek to follow Him in complete obedience to His Word. May your faith in the Lord Jesus be strengthened and your daily walk with Him deepened.